What is your definition of adventure? So I think an adventure is just anything that is new um, and exciting. I don't think an adventure necessarily needs to be anything huge. To be on an adventure is to find yourself again. That's kind of what an adventure would mean to me, I guess. Adventure to me is being able to go somewhere that you've never been before by yourself and just kind of explore. I think an adventure can be something as small as exploring your town or, um, you know, just really trying anything that is, is new and exciting to you. Through obstacles, through happiness, through whatever quest of life you meet along the way, I think an adventure, whether it be, you know, to a state park in your house, to another continent 13 hours away. Kennedy Space Center, Cocoa Beach in Florida, the Space Coast they call it and watching a rocket launch by yourself, something that man has been doing for 70 something odd years, to me is. Whatever it might be, as long as you find yourself again and come back home. Adventurous, to go somewhere where you don't know anyone, it's just you, it's yourself, you're the creature comforts of your phone and the GPS and everything else. You're not like Lewis and Clark or anything like that. Um, so to me, that's adventure. That is my definition of a true adventure. My definition of adventure is just about as broad as my definition of art. In fact, one of my favorite things in life is looking for it in unlikely places. Instead of asking friends to hang out, I'll ask if they want to go on an adventure. I'm not always trying to go spelunking or whitewater rafting. It's just my way of inviting someone to explore, to have fun doing something slightly out of the ordinary. I've adventured through the streets of Chicago to photography events, to concerts, or even just new coffee shops. Anything from hiking a mountain to trying a new ramen place counts to me as an adventure. When it comes to adventure, I'd have to say that one of the most adventurous people I know is my best friend from growing up named Katie. For example, last summer, she told me that she was going to Norway to work on a sheep farm, and then teaching acting in France like she always does, and then going to meet her boyfriend Chad to hike part of the Pacific Crest Trail. For those of you who don't know, this is a trail that goes along the entire west coast up into Canada. It is a huge feat, and I am no expert, but I figured I would talk to someone who was an expert, and how better to be an expert than to have hiked it. My name is Chad Ellis. I live in Los Angeles. I work at bookstores. I do comedy, typically. Um, Right now, I've been writing and working on different horror radio shows, and I also like me some long-distance backpacking. I talked to Chad over Skype about the ins and outs of the Pacific Crest Trail. I wanted to know everything from how he saw the art in hiking to what secret hiker lingo was used on the trail, how they got their trail names, and how much those gigantic backpacks weigh. So this episode of Artistic License about adventure is about the Pacific Crest Trail. Here is Chad. 
My first backpacking trip was, I was a Boy Scout, kind of. And when I was 14, we did a 50-mile trip, which was miserable. I didn't know why anybody would ever want to do backpacking. But then, as an adult, I would go out to, like, Utah and Colorado and different places, and it was just really beautiful. Um, that kind of got me back into it. Three years ago, I was going to move to Seattle, and we were trying to come up with plans to move. The, I was living near San Francisco at the time. And we wanted to uh, do the John Muir Trail, which is like a 200-mile trail up in the Sierras. So planning for that trip is what really got me into it. And then trying to do it and failing is what locked me in. Chad explained to me that he failed to hike the John Muir Trail due to an infection in his foot. I'll save you the details, but trust me, it was a very solid excuse. So why did you decide to hike the PCT specifically? It was one of those things like climbing Everest or going to the moon that you knew people did or going to space. You knew people did it, but it didn't seem like anything you had any kind of connection with. As it went on, especially after doing the John Muir Trail, it just kind of haunted me. It got to the point where the year before I did it, I was just dreaming about it all the time. Plus, my life was kind of in a bad place, so there was definitely an escapism element to it. I was like, oh, I could just go live outside for six months and get away from everything. What did you have to do to prepare for the hike? A big one was food. I had to get off of eating as healthy as I was, which is kind of ironic. But um, when you're backpacking, you need light, light, cheap food that has a lot of calories. Um, So if you go from eating a bunch of spinach and eggs to eating Pop-Tarts and Snickers, uh, it messes with your body. So I, I kind of like brought sugar back into my regular diet for the few months before. Uh, physical exercise, I tried to train, but like a month, I was going on runs, uh, but a month before I tweaked my Achilles. And after that, I was like, if I don't go on this trail because I was training for the trail, that's going to be terrible. Um, so I ended up doing no training, but the vast majority of it is honestly gear. Like I looked at some maps, but I really went in without a plan. I didn't have any like daily goals. Uh, it was just making sure my equipment was good. And then going for it and like kind of trusting that I would figure it out out there. Um, So I got, I I decided, because you can kind of go with like paper maps, traditional like paper maps and compass, or these days you can go all electronic. Um, And I had usually gone with maps, but this time I decided to go all electronic. So I got a life proof case for my phone. I bought a battery pack and then I bought, they have these really great map apps Uh, for these trails that you can download. They're either free or very inexpensive. Um, And even they use whatever the government uses to find you, even if your phone's in the uh, airplane mode, um, to locate your location and tell you where you are on the trail, where the maps are. And these have markings on them. So they tell you where water is going to be. There's comment sections. So you can say there is water here. There's no water here. Tells you where towns are at. But yeah, I didn't send any boxes. Like for me, I... Wasn't even positive I was going to be able to go until about two weeks before I left because um, I, I needed to get a replacement roommate. And that's when I got the replacement roommate because I was on a lease in Los Angeles. So I, I really jumped in. Like the big thing for me was just getting my equipment together and then trusting that I could figure it out from there. Speaking of equipment, those packs look huge. How much do they weigh? My pack was 14 pounds when I left without food and water. We call that base weight. So my base weight was 14 pounds uh, at the start. 
people's base weights range from like 20 pounds to 35 pounds, I would say on average, uh, leaving the border. And then they quickly lightened up. Like, uh, I ran into a couple Canadian girls on the first day and one girl had a 50 pound pack and one girl had a 60 pound back. These girls had like bear bells. They had bear spray. And this is in the desert. Like there's not going to be any bears for at least 300 miles. All, all this stuff. So that first, when I got to uh, Lake Moreno, which is kind of your first stop 20 miles in, I was doing shakedowns for people. So shakedowns are when you go through, a more experienced hiker goes through a new hiker's pack and says, you need this, you need to get rid of this, this stuff you should probably get rid of. You don't need it to live. Um, so I was just like getting rid of all kinds of stuff. Like somebody had a hatchet. I don't know what they're going to do with the hatchet. Shakedowns are just one of the many hiker phrases that Chad taught to me during our conversation. Hearing all of this hiker lingo kind of made me start wondering about the culture on the trail because there are hundreds of people hiking this trail every single year at you know any given point and I wanted to learn about the culture, the social aspects, and all of that on the trail. So Chad kind of gave me a rundown. I pretty much went in to the Pacific Crest Trail blind. Like, I got all my gear, but I didn't know what towns I was going to. I didn't know where I was going to be getting food. Like, I had general ideas of what the next spot was going to be. Uh, and I ended up getting all of that from from we, the, the windmill, the trail, the, the trail lingo. Um, like, it, so... Yeah, the social scene is huge because you have, I think, we had a lot of people hike this year. I think maybe 3,000 people left this year. And you're not going to see most of those people because you're all hiking at different paces. But you're going to see, you know, you have so different lingo. So you have your bubble. So your bubble are people that you run into every day or two. So they're hiking about your pace. And you can go 500 miles and never see anybody outside of the bubble. Even though there might be people like a mile ahead of you, they're just always hiking ahead of you so you can never see that person. And same thing with people behind you, they could never catch up. Um, so you end up getting to know those people really well. And you tend to group up as well. Um, you'll naturally group up with people hiking your pace. Like I, I went alone, but I went alone knowing I was going to run into people. It kind of transforms people because out there you have, I mean, you have homeless people, you have college kids, you have CEOs, uh, but we all look the same. We're all kind of discriminated against the same when you go into certain towns. Um, you know, everybody thinks we're vagrants unless it's a trail town and then they know exactly what you are and they're usually pretty welcoming. You, you pick up the language, you know, your, your zeros, your neros, your where, where's the resupply? So we're just talking about water sources and just lots of numbers. There's numbers all the time because the numbers are always going to be miles. I mean, a lot of this language showed up decades ago, uh, but it just keeps going on because you have newer hikers hiking with older hikers and then they assimilate all of it. Like trail names are a huge thing uh, because it's really impossible to remember that half of the guys you've met are named Mike but it's really easy to remember like caveman and eight bit and coach and that sort of thing. So we all have nicknames out there and usually what'll happen is you'll hear somebody's trail name. And then from there, it's like, all right, where did you get your trail name? And then it'll tell you the story. So my trail name is 42 at the beginning. People would be, how do you get 42? And I would tell them the story behind it. Eventually you get down to the point where you have the bare minimum words. So for me, 
it was 42 people. Oh, how did you get that? It was, oh, that was the amount of mosquito bites on my first week on the John Muir trail on my back. So after, yeah. So after a week on the John Muir trail, I had 42 bites on my back and then they, that was my, that stuck. That was my trail name. Um, there's some rules to trail names. You can't give yourself a name. Uh, and then once a name's pinned to you, that's your name. Um, you don't have to follow these rules. It's just better if you do. Because you can kind of tell when people um, name themselves. Like I met a girl in Bishop. And I was like, oh, what's, you know, what's your name? Oh, I'm Free Spirit. I'm like, oh, do you, is that because you're a free spirit? She's like, yeah, pretty much. You mentioned the book Wild, which has brought a lot of attention to the trail in popular culture. It's also been suggested that the book may not be the best representation of actual trail life. So what I wanted to know from you is what were the opinions of actual PCT hikers about this book and, I guess, movie? Largely negative. Um, I'm an, in a joking way. Uh, I'm an apologist. Like, my whole thing was when people would make fun of her, I would be like, hey, until you've hiked at least 1,100 miles, you can't make fun of her. Because you'd be like, oh, this is Cheryl Strayed did this. Or, like, there's always a joke of, you know, go find Cheryl Strayed's missing boot because she threw her boots off of the cliff. And um, I think some, you know, I think to some element, um, Anytime you have something that is a lifestyle for people like long distance backpacking and you have something that brings a lot of attention to it, that's not necessarily an accurate view of what that thing is. So like through hiking is hiking a trail from start to finish. And typically when you think of a through hiker, you're thinking of somebody who's doing like the John Muir trail, you know, which is a couple of hundred miles or like the Appalachian or Pacific crest trail, which are over 2000 miles. Um, so I think that that's it for a lot of people is every, you know, every person you talk to, oh, I've read wild. Yeah. Are you doing that wild trail? And then they associate you with that, which doesn't really tell the whole story. Um, I didn't care. I'm a book person. So I'm just like, you know, and what she did was badass. I mean, she, her pack had to be like 60 or 70 pounds. Like it sounds, it sounds miserable, but she did it. What did a typical day look like for you on the trail? Um, yeah, you wake up. I don't know of anybody who really set alarms. You just kind of wake up when you wake up, you get out. So I was a late riser, which means I was waking up usually like 30 minutes to an hour after the sun came up. Well, but here's the thing too. You can't do anything when it gets dark. Like here's another hiker term is hiker midnight. Hiker midnight is 9 PM because once it gets dark, you're, you're stuck. Like you can't go out. There's nothing to do. You can't see anything. There's no lighting out there. Um, and so we'd all go to bed when it got dark, but, you know, I slept like 10 to 11 hours a day. Um, but you'd wake up, um, some people would make breakfast for me. I usually, I, I sat up, I grabbed my food bag, I ate a pop tart. I might eat like two or three granola bars and then a bag of fruit snacks. Um, and then I would pack my sleeping bag in, which was miserable because then I had to get out of it. Um, change into my hiking, change into my hiking clothes to, you know, if I even bothered to get out of them in the first place and then shove all my stuff in the bag, get out of the tent, shove everything into my tent, um, or every, my tent into my backpack. And then you just start walking. Um, 
I, I didn't like making breakfast. Some people would make breakfast. A lot of people spent like an hour at camp before they left, which is how I became a late riser because I would get up and then I would be bored. And I was always usually, or I was also usually one of the faster hikers in my group. So if I left first, I wasn't going to see anybody until night. Um, so, and then, yeah, you walk. And so in the beginning, um, I would walk for a mile and then I would stretch out. I would tape up my feet for blisters. Um, you know, I would take little stretch breaks and you'd take water and food breaks. By the end, I was waking up before the sun would rise. I was hiking nonstop until about noon eating a bit of food and then hiking nonstop until before it got dark. Cause I would try to make my food like a couple hours before I went to bed, just so I was, you know, five to six miles away from my food site. So bears wouldn't find me. Um, because bears aren't scary when you're with two other people, two or three other people, but squirrels are scary when you're by yourself in the woods at night. Um, like every, everything's scary. Um, and so, I would make food and then I would keep hiking until after it got dark and then I would make camp, you know, because at that point you're, you can hike further than there are daylight hours to accommodate. What physical benefits did you notice after hiking? You get really resilient. Um, I mean, that was the thing. People are like, what happened if you sprained your ankle? Well, you keep hiking. What happened if you get sick? You keep hiking. You know, what if it's raining? You keep hiking. Like, you only have so much food in your food bag. So you need to get to town. You know, you, you maybe have a couple days of leeway, but you need to get to town. Like, uh, one time, Kate, Katie got dehydrated, um, so we had to hang out in one camp spot for a day. And then by that time, we then needed to pick up the pace because we needed to get town to, to town to resupply on food. Um, but your legs become huge. Um, I mean, it's generally like for me, I'm bipolar and I didn't need medication on the trail because I was just exercising all day, every day. Like it does great things for your mood. Um, cause yeah, even, even if you're, you know, there's miserable days out there and there's hard days and there's so much struggle, but I think humans kind of thrive off of that level of struggle. Um, so ultimately, you know, you're feeling good, even if your legs are giant knots. Um, and, and another thing too, is you're always pushing yourself. So you're always pretty much going to be hiking a hard day, but the difference is in the beginning, a 15 mile day was a hard day. And in the end, you know, a 40 mile day is a hard day. People go, they start getting this feral look to them. And there is part of hiker lore is the look. So there's this kind of frantic determination, that people get in their eyes and the whole lore is if you get the look before the Sierra, you'll be able to make it. If you don't get the look before the Sierra, you probably won't. And so if you look at pictures of hikers, you see this kind of like madness, this like cheerful madness in their eyes. And I think that just comes from the confidence of like, Oh, I hiked like a visit. Like if I were to go to space and look down on the earth, I hiked a visible different distance of that. And you know, like, cool, I, I hiked a 10,000 foot mountain from like 2000 feet. Like I, I went through this snowy day. I went through this really hot day. I can night hike. You're always adjusting. Um, and so, yeah, you, you trim down a bunch, you get sunburn in some areas and you're still very white in other areas. Your legs get huge. You know, you get scars from twigs and falling and this and that. Is the physical part most challenging then, or would it be more mental? 
Oh, no, not at all. Physical part's the easy part. It's it's the mental. It's all the mental. I mean, I, I, I never thought about quitting, which is pretty unusual. I never thought about quitting until I got to Washington and dealt with my first bad rain day. Because I dealt with rain on the trail before, but I hadn't dealt with rain all day and at low temperatures. Um, and that was just so miserable. And the other thing, like, you do, you do have to plan it out, which is tricky. Like, in the beginning, you can't think of Canada. Like, Canada doesn't exist because that's an impossible distance away. So you think about the next water source. And then from the water source, you think about the next campsite. And from the campsite, you think about the next town. Far away, you're thinking, okay, maybe the Sierra. And then when you're in the Sierra, you're thinking, okay, Tahoe. And then when you're in Tahoe, you're thinking, okay, Oregon border. And then from there, it gets, it almost gets harder mentally because now you can really like just hike all day long. Even if you hike all day long for a week, you still have half a state to go before you're even to Washington. So that's where it gets tricky. And for me, like uh, being with people actually does help. Like it is hard to sleep by myself in the woods. Like you don't sleep as well. You kind of sleep with one eye open, um, which I think is just a survival mechanism. Uh, but but in the end, you know, once uh, I made it to the Canadian border, I saw a bunch of people off. I still had about 500 miles left to go on my hike for Northern California. Uh, and then I got down to Northern California and I just started hiking. Um, and being by myself for several weeks, the, the tricky part was you, you don't really have anything to break up your day. Like, it's not like, oh, wake up in the morning and chat with people and do this and that. I was just going. And so I'd wake up before the sun went up and then I would stop after the sun went down and I would do that all every day. Um, I think that's kind of, if I do another long distance trail in the future, it's going to figure out like, how do I break up the trail when I'm by myself so that it just doesn't turn into that giant grind. But yeah, me me mental parts, the hard part, because your body can take a massive beating and especially you, ju you just learn what your body's capable of. Like even if it's hurting and it's struggling, you have been hurting and you've been struggling before and you know what you can push and what you can't. Who would you recommend to hike the trail? Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't advise that anybody not do it. I mean, I, I, any, I don't think, how, how do I say this? Um, any type of demographic is capable of doing this gigantic thing. Um, they're, they're capable of finishing it. I, I had people in their seventies out there, right. Who were still out there. And I had people in their twenties who were falling out. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it was inspiring seeing all the older people and being like, Oh cool. I don't have to stop this when I get older. Um, but I would say anybody should do it, especially if I think anybody who's really stuck in their life, um, you know, they felt like I, there were a lot of people out there who were just like, I hadn't done, they felt like they hadn't done anything cool or interesting with their life. And then they decided to go and do the PCT. Um, so those people, but I think anytime somebody feels trapped, like you're locked in, you see yourself being stuck at this job for way too long or a relationship, whatever, like go get out there. Um, because it, it will show you, or, I mean, if you're afraid of things, I mean, where everybody's afraid going out to that trail, um, and you will be afraid on the trail, but it really builds your confidence and kind of shows you what you're capable of. So, I mean, I, I would recommend it to anybody who has interests in it. Um, 
you know, forget, you know, some people like, oh, I have back problems or I have this problem or I have that problem. Like, forget about that. You'll figure that out. How did the trail change you in general? I think I'm just a more raw version of myself. Um, I, I don't make excuses. Not that I made a lot of excuses before, but I don't really make excuses for myself anymore or for things. I just kind of do things. Like even going to my job, instead of doing what I would be in the habit of doing, I just find like, what's the most efficient way to do this? Or what is the true purpose of this? And then go for it. Um, so like, I'm definitely a different person now than when I left. But I think it just scrapes away forcibly scrapes away a lot of those kind of softer aspects of yourself um, and whatever is left at the end um, you know is definitely worth keeping I have to ask where do you find the art in hiking I see, I, I see the art in hiking and how you decide to hike um, everybody decides to hike differently um, I hiked my hiking was very much based in the experience of the locations and in the people uh, some people's hike was about pushing themselves to the limit and finishing as quickly as possible and doing as many miles as possible uh, and some people's hike wasn't even about getting to the end it was about you know, jumping onto whatever experience got you know went in front of them like one of the guys I started with um, he was out there just as long as I was but he would go off to like Vegas to a film festival with this group and you know they ended up bouncing all over the place and they had a wonderful experience too uh, that was different so I think and then you have the people too who have those 30 40 pound packs and decide to keep doing the whole thing with them um, so I, I think that's where the art is is just in how you decide to hike what lines up with you and how you make that work because the whole thing is synergy like at the whole like i could grab you any item from my pack in the dark with my eyes closed with one hand behind my back i knew exactly where everything was and everything eventually got moved to the point of maximum efficiency because you're just out there for so long and that's that's your whole it's like an extension of your body your pack and your equipment Chad and I actually talked about the trail for a little bit under an hour. There's going to be a full podcast with just our unedited conversation, if that's something that you're interested in, next week up on WGNRadio.com. I'd like to thank Chad Ellis, as well as everyone who called in and talked to me about their favorite adventures. Thank you to Tim Apuli, Hard Times Productions, WGN Radio. I am Rachel Woodall. Until next time, thanks for listening.